Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. to Kirby maybe she can get a hat trick too oh it's a brilliant pass instead and Guro Wrighton's made it six brilliant goal six Chelsea goals and Frank Kirby has had a hand in all of them we escaped many times out of the pressure and could create a lot of attacks normally we, we want to, if we are the better team we want to win it's clear and the boys are disappointed which is a good sign Straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, life's a pitch as Blues blunted on Elland Road Sandpit. We get the lowdown on Atletico Madrid ahead of Wednesday's Champions League second leg. And the first Chelsea trophy of the season is safely tucked in the cabinet after the women batter Bristol to retain the Conti Cup. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello listener, hope you're good. It's me, Matt, back with my posse of Chelsea experts to pick through another week in the life of the Blues. Liam Toomey is here. Hello, I'm old enough to remember when Chelsea scored goals. <laughs> yeah, quite. Uh, Simon Johnson is also with us. How are you doing, Simon? Hello, I'm old enough not to remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> and who could forget, apart from possibly Simon, Dominic Fifield. Hi, <laughs> Hello, all. How are we? <laughs> good. Uh, let's start this week's pod with Saturday's draw in Yorkshire then. Leeds United, the team who never draw and always have goals in their games, nil. Chelsea, nil on Saturday lunchtime. Another clean sheet, but two points dropped in the race for the top four. Uh, Simon, before the match, you were tweeting Tuchel had made 59 changes to the Chelsea lineup in 12 games. Is he the new Tinker Man? I know that was part of your piece for the Athletic as well. Uh, was this lineup, do you think, picked as much with Atletico in mind as it was with Leeds? Yeah, for sure. Um, particularly with uh, a couple of suspensions with Mason Mount and Jorginho not being out of feature against Atletico. Inevitably, they, they were always going to get picked. That's why Kovacic was was on the bench. For example, I think Callum Hudson-Odoi is being saved for Atletico. Potentially Olivier Giroud as well. I, I, I'd be, I know we might go on to Atletico in a minute, but I think it may be a bit of a risk to play Kai Havertz as the false nine in such a big game. But yeah, I think I think there's an element of saving legs. But still, as I sort of explained in that piece last week, this is also the way that that Tuchel operates. He, he's not afraid to make a change. Um, as he continues to, I think, try and find the right answer, the right balance up front, which you have to say so far, it's that that's the one blemish 
if that's too strong a word, but that's perhaps the one blemish on his record is the, uh, the goal scored column. Yeah, Dom, I know you're not an elite level coach, um, but what, what would you do to, to to come up with a solution to this goal scoring problem? I asked Dukla about it afterwards and he said maybe we need a bit more determination to score goals, which I thought was a slightly strange remark. Yeah, I mean, that implies there's an attitude issue, um, which doesn't strike me as that being that obvious. I just think there are a few too many players in there. They were slightly off form, really, and lacking a bit of confidence. What would you do to to provide more goals? I, I, I suspect you you play those those players that are playing well. You play your Hudson Adoys and your Mason Mounts as as tens, if that's what you're going to do, or you ask Callum Hudson Adoys to operate wide. I mean, he's been impressive when he's when he's been out there. That's the obvious way of doing it. But I, again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry too much. I mean, I know they were, I know they were blunt at Ellen Road, but they created some good opportunities in the first twenty minutes, which really could have settled the game. Um, I'm thinking largely of of Pulisic getting past Alioski and squaring for Havertz, and who who really should have scored um, from pretty close in. And then the balls canning that back off the woodwork as well. It's just a, it's just fine margins again that are going slightly against them and I just I just I don't think there should be a big overreaction for a nil-nil draw at Ellen Road because I do think on that particular pitch you mentioned they didn't perform that badly it was it's a bit of a shot to the system to be on that playing surface and they did create chances yes it all petered out a bit and it all fizzled fizzled out in disappointment but it's still a point away from home at a at a club that have beaten some decent teams this season so you know let's let's put some perspective on it here's a tweet that's coming from joe i'll put it to you liam he says is playing pulisic out of position really giving him a chance that uh, pulisic the subject of a piece that that all three chaps have contributed to for the athletic uh, if i've read it right liam it's not time for for pulisic fans to panic quite yet well first of all what is pulisic's best position um i mean depending on who you ask people that have watched him for his entire career and are very familiar with his game. Some might tell you he's actually a number 10. Uh, I know he played his best football last season for Chelsea on the left of that front three, and he was excellent. But he's not the only person in this Chelsea squad that wants to play that position and can play that position to a very high level. I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi probably sees himself as a, a left-sided forward as well, ideally, but he's he's got next to no minutes there under Lampard or, or Tuchel. There's just a lot of competition in this squad for those spots. And I think the thrust of the piece that, you know, that we did around the Leeds game was was that it's just been an uphill battle for him for this whole season. The fact that he got that hamstring injury in the FA Cup final, the fact there were such unique circumstances with an incredibly short turnaround between seasons that didn't give him a chance to recover from that and then begin rehab and, and pre-season. He was playing catch-up. And at the same time, he was coming back into a very different squad from the one that he he left when he when he got injured. A squad without a clear attacking hierarchy that was still trying to find itself in the final third of the pitch. And I think you look at that now, and that process is ongoing under the second coach, and and Pulisic has been caught up in that. So I think it's uh, it's been difficult for him. Obviously, Tuchel's desire to get Timo Werner firing as well has has had a particularly high cost for Pulisic when you're talking about him playing on that left-sided attacking role because that's the position that, that Werner has largely owned since since the coaching change. 
But I think his his opportunity will come. I mean, he got his first Premier League start under Tuchel against Leeds. Probably had to wait a little bit too long to get it, but um, I think he'll get more opportunities to impress and it's up to him to take them. The other problem he's got, Simon, as pointed out in the piece, is that Tuchel knows what he can do as an impact sub and, and, and there's a slight danger that that's what he gets pigeonholed at. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, you know, it's sometimes history can, or a past relationship can go against you. And, and certainly we're, we're led to believe that the last thing Pulisic wanted to do when Tuchel arrived was to sort of go down the Mason Mount road of, of being like seen as the teacher's pet. He wanted to be treated like everyone else. And unfortunately, it's almost, that's what's happened. He's sort of, um, he's sort of not been able to cement a first team spot. But I, I do think there is an element of, and we've seen this with a few players already, this element of panic. Like the moment they're not selected, oh no, it's a disaster. It's all over for them. And the thing is, every time this is raised in the press conference, Tuchel sort of goes, well, one, he downplays it, and then he tends to start them in the very next game just to sort of kill it all. Um, so I just I just think it's that there's been an element of... Uh, there's obviously going to be a lot of interest in Tuchel's team selections, but he's figuring it out as well. I mean, he's only 12 games into the job. He's still figuring out as he goes along, as the fixes are coming along, sort of what his best team is. I think Pulisic has got far too much credit in the bank um, as a Chelsea player from from what he has done in the past to sort of be worrying about his uh, his future at the club. And he himself, you, you sort of listen to people that talk about him and he is, he is a man that I think feels a lot of pressure. I think he feels a lot of pressure from being USA star player. I think he feels a lot of pressure from the family side of things. And I think he feels a lot of pressure from within that he wants to be this great player. He's not going to settle for being a, a substitute. He's going to be constantly driven to do more and more. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a very positive end to the season, just like the last one. One of the aspects that, that came out in that piece of talking to people in the in the States is, was you know, we always look at international breaks as being rather inconvenient and, and uh, you know, cluttering up the schedule a bit and not what we want to see, you know, disrupting rhythm, etc. But it might actually work in Christian Pulisic's favour if he he went off in I think it was November time and joined up with the, the US squad, even though he had no chance of playing, he was injured. But just for a change of scenery, just to see some mates, basically, just to, he, this is a this is a twenty two year old kid living on his own in London during a lockdown um, with precious few distractions. I would have thought out there, so it did him good in November. Possibly no coincidence that he then played a run of games thereafter. And in March, when uh, the States are playing Jamaica in Austria and then Northern Ireland in Belfast, that might be another opportunity for him to get some game time, definitely, to play, to start, to be a a key member of a team and play in a position that he wants to play in, but also to see some of his mates, to see some of his friends, to see McKimmy and and Tyler Adams and people like that, people that he he counts as as good friends, and, and also people who are slightly taking that pressure off him at international level now. Um, there is a sense that while, you know, maybe Pulisic was let down by some of the older players in the United States set up in qualifying for the 2018 World Cup, which they, they failed to do, there is evidence now that there is almost a, a golden generation of coming through of, of, of US players who, who are targeting 2022 World Cup as, a, as an opportunity to showcase their talent and potential. 
Um, and it's not all about Pulisic anymore. It's about these other guys who are playing at big clubs. They're playing at Leipzig. They're playing at Juventus. You know, these these are these are decent decent teams that they're, they're they're contributing to. So, I think it will do him good to be in that environment just for a bit, just for ten days, change of scenery, work with Greg Berhalter, come back, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like Simon's just said there, if he, if he then goes on a run, has a bit more confidence about him because because being on the fringes will have damaged his confidence. It's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that was. He didn't look the player on Saturday that he that we saw, you know, when he was scoring five goals in eleven games at the end of last season. So, just just get a bit more belief around and a bit more conviction, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see something more recognisable as the Christian Pulisic from last season towards the run in here. Well, we'll see if Pulisic gets a start against Atletico Madrid when they come to London on Wednesday. We'll look ahead to that game. Next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Joining us to look ahead to Wednesday's Champions League last 16 second leg tie against Atletico Madrid from TalkSport International and the Totally Football Show European Edition, it's Alvaro Romeo. Uh, Alvaro, how did Atletico and in particular Diego Simeone reflect on, on that first leg? Because they were they were pretty disappointing from, from what we were expecting. Yes, they were disappointing. I think that there was a feeling at Atletico de Madrid that uh, the plan was working perfectly until Olivier Giroud scored uh, because uh, the whole point for Simeone in that game was to keep a clean sheet and uh, get the job done um, in London. Unfortunately for them, that didn't happen. Uh, there was not the feeling that this was uh, a big fiasco. Um, nothing has been lost yet. But at the same time, it has to be said that little by little, Atletico de Madrid has had a dip in their form. And uh, at the minute, they are traveling to London, uh, I would say that with more doubts than certainties, because they couldn't beat Getafe. Uh, in midweek, they beat Atletico de Bilbao in the last second of the game, 2-1. And they have dropped uh, something like 13 points from the last 25. Four points, uh, which tells you that this is not uh, the solid team that was basically winning to nil every game uh, in the first half of the season. They have changed a little bit and they are not doing as well. So this is the, the time for Atletico de Madrid to bring their A game uh, back again, because otherwise they are not going to go through. Yeah, you mentioned the form in the league since the first leg. They haven't lost, but but as you say, not exactly sparkling. Do you think there's any any chance that their minds might be elsewhere? That the league all of a sudden is is more important than the Champions League. Uh, no, I I think that they are doing really their best in in the in the league. The only problem there is that 
sometimes Atletico de Madrid, if they go forward, they should go forward more convincingly. I still believe that they never give the, or they are never a hundred percent adventurous uh, in the same way that Barcelona, for example, is. And that costs them a little bit because when they really have to be adventurous and go for the three points, sometimes uh, you can really tell that there are some uh, automatic moves that still don't work for them. You can really tell that uh, um, they don't go up front with the appetite that uh, it's needed to beat uh, opponents like Getafe, for example. The other day, Getafe played with uh, 10 men for 20 minutes at the end of the game. And Atletico, you know, uh, they created a lot of chances, yes. But at the same time, they didn't populate the opponent's box with many players. I mean, um, it was just uh, Luis Suarez or Dembélé trying their best. But you can really tell that collectively, this is a team that still struggles a little bit to go forward uh, with all the, as I said before, all the best mentality and especially with the, the appetite required. So that's going to make it difficult for them on Wednesday, isn't it? Because they are going to have to play on the front foot at least a, a little bit more than than they did in the first leg. You know, assuming they don't score in the first minute or whatever, as the game wears on, they're going to have to be a bit more attack minded than than certainly we saw of them in uh, in Bucharest. Yes, of course. And for example, this is the totally the opposite template of uh, the game against Liverpool a year ago. Against Liverpool, Atletico did what they think they do best, which is staying back and defend the scoreline. At the end, of the, they ended up winning at Anfield. Uh, and this time, they will have to go mm, not crazily um, into attack, but they will definitely have to attack more than Chelsea if they want to win this game. Uh, there are a few questions here that... Uh, I've got, uh, what are they going to do if they score first? Because I believe that Atletico's nature is going to make them, you know, uh, think twice about attacking again after scoring the first goal. And uh, how does Simeone approach the problem that Chelsea has in midfield? Because uh, as you know, Mason Mount and Jorginho are not playing and Atletico can easily outnumber Chelsea with midfielders. And uh, uh, this is going to be very important in the game as well. I think that N'Golo Kante and whoever plays alongside him, probably Kovacic, they're going to be so busy um, making sure that no midfielder from Atletico de Madrid goes forward, causing a little bit of chaos in Chelsea defense. So I think that uh, the game is going to be interesting from that point of view. Uh, Chelsea in the midfield, they have been weakened. And Atletico de Madrid, they can play easily with a 3-5-2, um, meaning that uh, probably they will have a lot of players in the central or in the middle of the pitch and that Chelsea can suffer from that. So that's the the, the Chelsea team news with, with those absentees you've mentioned. How about Atletico? Kieran Trippier, Jimenez, Carrasco, all available having, having missed the, the first leg. How important is that? Uh, I think it's very important. Um, I think that Yannick, uh, Carrasco and Trippier, they are an upgrade on whoever plays uh, instead of them uh, in the flanks. So them both will uh, probably be a start the game. If not Thomas Lemar on the left instead of Yannick, that could be a possibility. But I think that Yannick is, uh, um, has the makings of uh, a fullback definitely more assimilated than uh, Thomas Lemar. Uh, then I believe that Jimenez is their best centre-back. The only problem with this guy is that he has had many soft tissue injuries in his career. And uh, yeah, uh, I think that Atletico doesn't have any big injury concerns for this game. And there are a couple of players that uh, uh, they can make the difference apart from Luis Suarez up front. Uh, one of them is uh, 
Marcos Llorente, as you know, uh, this season he's doing very well. His tally of 10 goals in all competitions is the best of his career. And then Moussa Dembele, the French uh, player, he has uh, done very well against Getafe. He was excellent too. And I believe that he could uh, play an important part in this game because if Atletico needs to score a goal, uh, maybe Simeone will have to resort to two strikers, uh, Luis Suarez and Moussa Dembele up front, can be dangerous. So let's see what happens, but I want to remark something before anything. Atletico de Madrid has hasn't been a very strong European team since uh, winning at Anfield. Uh, their latest results in the Champions League, they are far from good. They are rather disappointing. I mean, they have lost three and drawn three in the Champions League since winning at Anfield, and they have only been able to beat one opponent twice, Salzburg. So that tells you a little bit. Uh, when it comes to playing with the European royalty, Atletico de Madrid has been suffering over the last 12 months. All right, it doesn't sound like you're massively confident then. Give us a prediction. Who's going through, Chelsea or Atletico? Uh, All all things considered, I think that uh, Atletico de Madrid uh, doesn't have in their nature uh, a comeback. I think that they will suffer from that. As I said before, they don't attack convincingly when they have to. So I'm going to go for Chelsea this time because I believe that they they have had one of the best possible results you can have away from home. So yeah, I will bet for Chelsea this time. Alvaro Romeo there. Catch him every Tuesday on the Totally Football Show European Edition. Tom Alvaro touched on it there. The midfield battle might be key. How, how significant, in your opinion, are the, are the absences of Mason Mount and, and Jorginho, who have been two of the central figures under Thomas Tuchel so far? Yeah, it's significant, but I, I do think, think that Ngola Conte and, and, and Matteo Kovacic aren't, aren't bad replacements as a, as, a, as a two in midfield. And we're assuming, I suppose, that, that Chelsea go back to a 3-4-2-1, which they've been playing the vast majority of the games under under Tuchel it's it's maybe be a have to be a different type of style possibly different type of approach I mean Jorginho won't be there to to be sort of metronomic in the passing and keeping the possession in the same way but but Conte's presence as a as an interceptor um will disrupt Atletico I would have thought and yeah, the guys in front of them will have to work harder. They'll have to they'll have to contribute some in the in the way that Mason Mount does, um, knitting it all together and and giving that forward propulsion as well. But I think Chelsea have got the bodies to cope. To be honest, I'll probably get proved horribly wrong now. They'll get flooded in the first minute. But but looking on paper, I I, I don't have too many concerns for for this game. Simon, I guess a slight concern might be, what's Chelsea's approach to the match? Alvaro spoke about Atletico maybe having to come out of their shell a little bit more than they ideally would have done, certainly if it had been nil-nil. But do Chelsea try and defend what they've got or do they try and show a bit more attacking spark, get the second goal that would kill it? In danger of being caught betwixt and between, maybe? Yeah, um, it's a delicate balance. Um, I think they've got to still go on the offence if they can't just sort of sit back and defend. I think that would be a very, very dangerous game. It's only a one-goal lead. I'll never forget the Liverpool quarter-final tie in, in 2009 when, when Chelsea won 3-1 at Anfield and the tie was quickly in the balance when, when Liverpool scored twice. It is far too delicately poised to to be to take a negative approach. Uh, I don't think Chelsea should be sort of allowing Atletico to get on the front foot from the start. It would be interesting to sort of see how much better Atletico are. They've got a few players back. I'm also going to be quite keen to, to watch Jose Jimenez, who's he's been a long-standing uh, Chelsea target as a centre-back. 
will he um, sort of be a, a major barrier for them uh, in terms of scoring one of these goals? Because he is a, is a top-class defender, he's only 26, got a massive buyout clause, but has been on the wish list for, I think, five years now. Um, I think I remember writing about him back in 2016, and he's, he's still still someone they admire. Um, whether they admire him on Wednesday night, <laughs> I think they might have mixed emotions if he helps knock them out. Uh, one would assume, Liam, that, that Jimenez will be going up against Olivier Giroud. He, he surely comes back into the, the Chelsea attack for this game. Yeah, I think a certain bicycle kick might have um, done enough to, to earn his place back in this game, particularly since in the, in the matches since Chelsea's other attackers haven't um, quite done enough to show that they can be a difference in a game like this. I'm actually expecting, at least from the start, uh, a relatively similar game to the one we saw in Bucharest. I think Atletico won't go for the jugular from the off. It's not really Simeone's style anyway. I think they'll be they'll be cautious. And Simeone always plans in this type of tie where technically the home leg is first. He always budgets for having 120 minutes to score away goals, not just 90. So I think it'll be Atletico's strategy to try and nick one, take Chelsea into deep water and then finish the tie potentially an extra time or even penalties. But I think key to Chelsea's strategy will be trying to repeat what they did in the first game. Michael Cox did an excellent piece about it for us. Um, They're high pressing, stopping Atletico, playing that first pass out to get a counter-attack going. They were so, so good at it. And you know N'Golo Kante is going to really help with that. They They didn't have him on the pitch in Bucharest. But I think the really important thing from my perspective, is that the the first line of Chelsea's press, the attacking line, um, those players have to work really hard and be really switched on. Mason Mount is the one that usually leads that. So not having him there will be a big blow. And, and Tuchel, I'm sure, will be stressing to whoever starts in his place that they have to be absolutely on it to, to make sure Atletico don't get out. So that is eight o'clock on Wednesday, Champions League action. Next, we'll turn our attention to the FA Cup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Chelsea's final fixture before the international break is on Sunday of this week. That's the 21st of March as Sheffield United come to Stamford Bridge in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Chris Wilder sacked on Friday. Simon, this couldn't have gone any better for Chelsea, really, could it, from what we saw at Leicester on Sunday? <laughs> yeah, it looks like all the fight, what was left of it, has gone out of them. It's quite a sad story, I think, because Chris Wilder's just been a phenomenal manager for them, but... But Chelsea are very familiar with managers that fall out with boards or owners and, and they tend to lose their job for, and, and on top of a string of bad results. But you do wonder what the mindset is in, the, in, in that Sheffield United dressing room. They're going to be absolutely gutted, devastated that their lead has gone. Can an FA Cup quarterfinal bring out one last hurrah out of this squad? It's going to be very tough for them. Um the key for Chelsea, and of course, a lot of a lot of sort of Chelsea's mentality might be dependent on what happens against Atletico. I mean, I remember 2016; they lost to PSG in midweek, knocked out the Champions League last 16, and then were knocked out the FA Cup quarterfinal by Everton. And their season was, in terms of trophy wise, was over in the space of three or four days. You can imagine if they lose to Atletico, you know, they're they're going to be a little bit down and despondent. But really. If Chelsea don't win this, then uh, then they'll be uh, Tuchel will be very very disappointed, and we'll have some tough tough questions to answer. New manager bounce confirmed by Simon yeah. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> could be a great, and conversely, it could be an amazing week for Chelsea. You know, like think let let's think half glass full. You know, if they if they get through to the Champions League last eight and an FA Cup semi final, I mean, it's a it's it's a fantastic week for Chelsea. Liam, what happens on, on Wednesday will definitely influence what happens on Sunday in terms of team selection. Lot, lots of people pinning their hopes on this game being the one that, that Billy Gilmore gets to really show Thomas Tuchel what he can do, uh, assuming that Chelsea get through in the Champions League. Would you expect Gilmore to start here? It's a hard one to call because I think I think Tuchel is the kind of coach that would rotate heavily for the Cup, but there comes a point in Cup competitions where that stops happening. Uh, and 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 that point is slightly different for every coach, and so it's it'll be interesting to see whether we are now deep enough in the FA Cup that that he decides that it's too much of a risk. I mean, judging by everything he said about Billy Gilmore so far, he doesn't see picking him as a risk. He just sees him as fourth in the pecking order for those double six spots. And so if you're judging purely on what Tuchel has said in press conferences, then yeah, you should have a degree of confidence that Billy Gilmore should start. And maybe that someone like Tino Andrin should at least be in the matchday squad, given that he's been in the first team bubble, got minutes against Barnsley as well and looked very good. But it's just always hard to tell at this stage of the season how how a coach is going to react to games like this and what the possibility of a trophy could do to their selection decisions. Tom, can you make any case for Sheffield United or is this just going to be a cruise? Whilst talking to you guys, I've got the highlights on of their game at Leicester um, on the television next to the screen here and they're getting unpicked by balls played straight down the middle. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. They completely lose their heads towards the end of that game and it just looks like a a, a group of players that's mentally exhausted from a 
traumatic season. And, you know, there may well have been differences between many of them and Chris Wilder towards the end and during the darkest periods of the, of this campaign. But But seeing the manager who has instigated all this success at a club leave Bramall Lane uh, at this stage of the season is just just makes me feel as if they've just given up now they've just completely given up uh, there's no you know there's no long-term vision in in the appointment of Paul Higginbottom from the under 23s and Jason Tyndall is a manager that as, as an assistant is a, is, a, is a manager that's already failed to get out the championship this season with with Bournemouth and, and was sat there so I mean it, they are a they're in a mess um so on on the evidence of the, what we saw on on Sunday, they don't stand a chance at Stamford Bridge. So I expect them to win one 0 <laughs> We'll find out on Sunday, half past one UK time, is a kickoff for that one at Stamford Bridge. Okay, next we'll be talking about a piece of silverware which has already been won by Chelsea. Now, on Sunday, Emma Hayes' all-conquering women's team made light work of Bristol City in the Conti Cup final. The Blues thrashed the Robins 6-0 at Vicarage Road to retain the trophy they won for the first time last season. Joining us now is the Athletics women's football correspondent, Katie Wyatt. Uh, Katie, given Chelsea had already beaten Bristol City 9-0 and 5-0 this season, many were expecting a comfortable afternoon for the Blues. That's just how it turned out on Sunday. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting any less. There was certain noises in the coverage about oh it's a cup game and anything can happen and Bristol City have in fairness to them since they've got their new manager and Matt Beard been on far better form and found a system that works for them far better and has been yielding results but I think it was always a big ask for a team with their budget and their experience to produce a result against a team of the quality and the depth that Chelsea have got so I feel that a lot of people felt from the outset that it was only going to go one way. Familiar story of late Sam Kerr and, and Frank Kirby, the standout players, a hat trick for Kerr, two goals for Kirby, and four, four assists. Mm. Uh, those two, those two together, individually, obviously brilliant players. Uh, Kirby, I think, probably in the running for for the Ballon d'Or, but together, they've just been devastating in recent weeks. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see because I think everybody believed that Sam Kerr would come good. I know she had a very difficult start and it took her a while to find her feet in Chelsea colours, but I don't think that anybody expected anything less. I think that everyone knew that she would come good in the end, but to see the level at which her and Kirby are operating and the nature of their link-up play and just how seamlessly they are playing together is I don't think anybody could have forecast that especially given where Frank Kirby was obviously it's been very well documented about a year ago the illness that she was having that left her bedridden and sleeping for 18 hours a day I think no one could have imagined that her and Kerr would be in a partnership that's flourishing in the way that it is and when Sam Kerr came last year we saw her in a partnership with Bethany England and that was starting to bear fruit but now to see the danger in her partnership with with Frank Kirby is just you really have to see it to believe it. It is just truly remarkable the stuff that they do and the telepathy between them and the balls that Kirby delivers and the fact that they're dangerous all over the pitch. You know, Kirby was finding Kerr from central positions and from out wide and Kerr was just timing her runs perfectly and just read Kirby, knew when to halt a run, knew when to go give and go. And it just the connection that they have is absolutely remarkable and is a real reason why this Chelsea team are just dominant in the way they are at the moment. Yeah, Kirby was the the focus of your, your post-match piece for the Athletic and plenty of talk about about her relationship with Sanka and and as you as you mentioned the 
the illness that she's overcome over the last year. But but what really shone through to me in that were the quotes that that you put in from from Emma Hayes and and how she's she's been a maternal figure for for Fran, who as many people know lost her mum when she was young. It, it it highlights how lucky Chelsea are not only to have players like Fran Kirby, but but in particular to have a manager like Emma Hayes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Hayes would be very humble about it probably and say this is what you can get when you have a, a management and uh, owners above me that back the club in the way that they have. And I think that Chelsea are an example to any rich men's club owner of how easy it is to, well, I wouldn't say it's been an easy journey, but certainly resource-wise, you need everybody knows you need a lot less money than you do in men's football to compete. But of how rewarding it is to have a women's team that play really, really well and the reason I asked that question was because a lot of the coverage of Kirby's illness, one of the things that she's been really keen to stress is just how well Emma Hayes has managed her and as she's been crying in Emma Hayes' office and Hayes has told her to come off social media and Emma Hayes has just kind of been a comfort blanket and a rock for her and really guided her through that in a way that I don't think many managers would necessarily know how to do. And I was asking her about why what is it about you and Frank Kirby that means that you have the strength of the relationship that you have? And Emma Hayes was very open post-match yesterday and was saying that as soon as she sort of met Fran and everybody knows Fran's backstory, she felt rightly or wrongly that what Fran needed was a really maternal eye. And I think that you can see the depth and the strength of their relationship. I can't imagine Kirby ever leaving Chelsea and playing for another manager and having the relationship and the success that she has had under Emma Hayes and I think that it's a real testament to Hayes' patience that a lot of, man- I don't know if managers necessarily would have persevered with Kirby with her with her illness last year I'd like to think that they would from a human perspective and also because of the talent that Kirby has but Emma Hayes and the whole story around this has just shown how much patience and understanding and being willing to wait and willing to persevere has really paid off for everybody the only sour note from Sunday's game was the injury suffered by Marin Miel. They're kind of one of the more unsung heroes, I guess you'd say, of this Chelsea team. But it looked a nasty one. No update yet, I'm presuming, but but she might be out for a while just, just based on, on how it looks on the pitch. Yeah, Emma Hayes said it was like it was a knee injury. It was a very, very strange one to watch and obviously quite distressing for those at the game because even on television where you had the fake crowd noise being pumped and you could still hear her scream and her pain so imagine how much worse that would have been for people in the ground but yeah I do absolutely agree with the sentiment of Unsung Hero and it's funny because she I don't think that she's recognised even though there are lots of moments particularly in the Champions League where Mielda's goals and form have really been quite instrumental in setting Chelsea on their way and securing big ties and getting them through the competition. But she's a player who we know that this Chelsea squad are very versatile and they've got so much depth and they can play in so many different formations in so many different ways. And she's really a player that embodies that not only in her versatility and her style, but in her attitude as well. So she's going to be a massive, massive, massive miss for this Chelsea side, no matter how long she's out for so it was really really distressing to see and I think that it did very much tinge the Chelsea celebrations and we saw afterwards Frank Kirby taking Mielder's shirt onto the podium but you could see very much in the players faces post-match and in Emma Hayes's eyes after the game that it was just something that completely soured the whole afternoon and they know how much how big a loss she will be if she is out for any length of time. 
Uh, finally, Katie, while we've got you, we should talk Champions League. After seeing off Atletico Madrid, Chelsea have been drawn against Wolfsburg in the in the quarterfinal. So the, the hope is that they aren't the force maybe that they once were, or in 2018 and 2016 at least, when they eliminated Chelsea. Uh, it, it could have been worse, couldn't it, this draw? Because they've, they've managed to miss Leon and, and Man City in the in the path to the final. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out in the Champions League for Chelsea because that's the big one. And every year we have this conversation of is Leon's dominance waning and are they finally starting to lose it? And every year Leon prove everybody wrong. And I think that Wolfsburg is a good draw for Chelsea. I think that now that in particular Chelsea have got Peniel Harder, who was the crown jewel in that Wolfsburg side for many, many years, it's a very interesting angle and interesting thing that will probably dominate a lot of the build-up. But it's very good that the English teams are not going to face each other because from Chelsea's perspective because Manchester City have been such a fearsome opponent for them over the past few seasons in particular. So it's probably a, a very sets up a very favourable route for Chelsea. We're talking about them going all the way and maybe this is the first year that we'll have an English team winning the Champions League since 2007. So all eyes on that one over the next few days. Katie White there. Read her latest piece on Frank Kirby on The Athletic Now. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s beat Everton 2-1 on, on Friday night thanks to a Tieno Ballo double. They play leaders Manchester City on Sunday. And the under-18s enjoyed a much-needed 2-1 win against West Brom at Cobham. And that's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Simon, all eyes on Wednesday, I suppose. You got anything in the pipeline you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in charge of writing about that game, and it, and always sort of one goes in with a plan A, but um, you know, a plan A very much on the proviso Chelsea win. I might have to uh, put the the car into reverse if if it all goes wrong, and then uh, as far as uh, another sort of joint read with the the Chelsea posse, we've done a as you probably will have seen by the time this goes out, I think. We've done a great, uh, led by Liam, we've done a great piece on, on Diego Costa. Of course, great connection with the two clubs that meet on Wednesday. A player that Chelsea haven't replaced. You sort of imagine if he'd been up front on, on Saturday, um, Chelsea would have won that game. But yeah, we go into a lot of detail about the man who was fun on the pitch and fun off the pitch for totally different reasons. Yeah, that must have been um, fun to write, Liam. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to write about that particular glorious maniac for a long time. <laughs> um, by far the Chelsea player that I've most enjoyed covering, even though he just wouldn't speak to the British media just because it was a non-stop circus. And uh, yeah, we've done the best part of five and a half thousand words on the magic, the madness and the man behind it all. So be sure to check that out. Apparently enjoyed going to Peppa Pig World with William. Was, um, oh, quick, get it in there. <laughs> oh, it's too late to include that. Doesn't even have kids. I, I just, I, I just, because because we're talking about Diego, and, it, and it, uh, it's obviously referencing the piece, but having been fortunate enough to be at, at the West Brom Chelsea game when they when they won the title in 2017, just just we, we're talking like quarter to midnight. And, and Conte is is giving his post match presser, and I just never forget. You can imagine the room at the Hawthorns is packed. Everyone's like, "Yeah, the title winners, the title winners." 
And I'll never forget the door bursting open and there's there's Louise and, and Costa. Come on, come on. You know. And then but unfortunately Conte still had to do with the Sundays. And bizarrely West Brom sort of had this room just sort of behind the press room. And it was a very tiny room. I don't know why, but there was scaffolding in there. Never don't we'll never understand why. But the, it was just so funny to witness this this huddle of Sunday journalists. Uh, Costa suddenly swinging from this scaffolding and then picking up this fire extinguisher and pointing it at the Sunday journalist that the head of comms begging Diego. So no Diego, no Diego. <laughs> Sunday journalist looking over their shoulder anxiously. <laughs> I mean, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it was all because he wanted to get on the coach and, and continue to having a, having a good old beer. But <laughs> he, he got a very bad rep in this country because of his antics on the pitch. But but as the piece that Liam's done a great job on really explains, the the guy off the pitch was, was actually a, a really, really lovely, fun guy. And um, as I said, he's, he's, he's sorely missed, I think, on and off the pitch at Chelsea. There you go. Don't follow that. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I was there as well, and it was spectacular. Um, it was spectacular. Completely overshadowed Mishi Batchwai's finest moment yeah, in the Chelsea yeah. shirt. It's very true. <laughs> um, uh, I'm working on a piece that's Chelsea-related um, about Premier League clubs, associations with private schools. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Musiala as well, both went to Whitgift, um, who have this this uh, I don't know, agreement I suppose you call it with uh, arrangement with with Chelsea to to educate some of the the finer talents from the academy um so I'm hoping to to speak with Whitgift later this week excellent uh, listener right now you can subscribe to the athletic for a special price of 3 pounds 99 a month for 6 months that's 40% of the full price of a subscription you'll get great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts so go to theathletic.com/chelseapod to take advantage of this special 40% discount that's theathletic.com/chelseapod and that's all for this week do join us again same time next week for now though from all of us here it's goodbye The Athletic.